Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the first snippet of our conversation with Bart Hendricks, Head of Global Treasury Operations at SIBA. Bart gives quite a comprehensive explanation of who he is and what he does at the beginning of the episode, so you get to know him a little bit better before diving into the topic of the day. In this episode, expect to learn what SIVA is and what they do, what is happening in the Treasury Department of SIVA, giving a good overview, actually, of how a Treasury Department looks like, what a shared service center is and a practical example with SIVA, why type of companies use shared service centers and why, how does Treasury can fit into a shared service center, and much more. This is honestly one of our favorite interviews we have done for this podcast. Bart is amazing, a well of knowledge, and willing to deep dive into certain concepts. We hope you enjoy the episode as much as we do. If that is the case, why not giving us a rating? This is the best way to show us your support, costs nothing, and only takes five seconds. Cherry on the cake. It will allow us to invite more and more amazing guests as we grow the podcast. With all that being said, please welcome Bart Hendricks. So Bart Hendricks, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you. Very good. I'm pleased to have you on the show. Uh, Bart, could you please start by introducing yourself? Uh, what's your background? What do you do? Yeah, well, uh, I'm uh, currently Global Head of Treasury Operations and in-house banking at Siva Logistics. I started my career 25 years ago uh, in banking. I worked first half of my career in leverage finance, corporate banking across Europe for different banks, purely in the corporate domain. And I changed to corporate treasury now almost 13 years ago. Very new in corporate treasury, not new in banking and banking products, but new in corporate treasury. When I was asked to set up a corporate treasury department for a spin-off of Texaco called Delek. It, it's an Israeli company who actually acquired Texaco stations in the Benelux. And they needed uh, someone to set up treasury. So I was a one-man show at the start. And later we set up a, a team across the Netherlands and Belgium. Then we acquired the BP uh, stations in France. So I had a team in France as well. I also did some credit management. So totally different role than banking, but I really got hooked into corporate treasury. Very cool. Very cool. How was that transition for you? We've talked in the past with um, other guests and, and, and in other episodes about transitioning into corporate treasury. How was that transition for you? It's huge. Eh? It really is huge. It's uh, For me, it was very, how can I say, liberating in the sense that um, while I had a very interesting and challenging job within banking, uh, within banking, you're at the sideline. You, It's very deal-driven, at least the business I was doing. So you advise a corporate purely on one single product. Once the deal is done, you step out. Moving to corporate treasury was completely different. First of all, you're part of the organization. So you're really ingrained in the organization and, and you have to know every specific of the organization as well. And next to that, it's very, how can I say, empowering in the sense that you have your responsibilities, which is very clear, but you have to take your responsibilities as well. Just 
to give an example, so we were a carve-out out of the huge Chevron Texaco Treasury organization. We had a lot of foreign exchange deals we had to do because we buy fuel in dollars and we sell it in euros. Very basic. So in the beginning, I called one, three or four banks and I said, what's your best price? And they always knew I was going to buy dollars. So they gave me a price and I said, yeah, go ahead. Then I found out that we had, you had these electronic trading platforms. So I went to my CFO, which is actually, I think, still one of the best CFOs I've ever had. I explained the business case, being expecting me to write 10-page business profile case and then wait for three or four months. And she actually said, well, yeah, just do it. Hey, come on. I mean, we need to move forward. This is a no-brainer. Just get it done. And that was so completely different than working for a huge bank where if you want to change something, it never happens or it takes ages. So, like I said, for me, very liberating, uh, a lot of challenges in the sense that some of the things I had to do, I had no knowledge of. So I was not a typical cash manager who started as an analyst and knew everything about MT940s and, and these Swift and all these kind of things. But you learn along the way. And if you have an open mind, it's, uh, yeah, it, like I said, for me, it was a big step, a huge challenge. Transition was big, but for me, there was no way back to banking. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. So, so explain to us what you do now then at SIBA. Um, who are SIBA? What do they do? Uh, can you give us like a brief overview and then your role there? Yeah, no, no problem. So I joined SIVA just over a year ago. SIVA is a third-party logistics company, which means big companies like, like Amazon, like, like huge retailers, for example, they need to have warehouses, they need to have logistics functions, which they don't have themselves, and they outsource it to third-party logistics companies. SIVA is one of them. Siva has a very long history, started out partly as a Dutch company, TNT Logistics, many, many years ago. So it's, it's really from the postal services it started. And a long history in the Netherlands, even though it became a global company already 15, 20 years ago, when it merged with an Australian company. It's been owned by private equity uh, over the last 12 years, but was listed three and a half years ago, three years ago at Swiss Stock Exchange only for a brief period of time because then we were acquired by the French company CMA CGM. It's a large shipping container business company who was who is expanding and diversifying its business and logistics is part of the whole value chain. So they acquired Siva Logistics. When I joined, we were with uh, 78,000 people. Our revenues were about 7 billion. Uh, that was in 2020. If we fast forward to today, we did three, four major acquisitions over the last period. And we expect our revenues to be for 2022 in the range of 15 billion. We are with 120,000 people and we operate in 160 countries. Like I said, we're part of C CMA CGM, located in Marseille, its head office. We also relocated our head office to Marseille, but we are very independent in the sense we have our own treasury team and uh, we have our own strategic decisions, of course, aligned with our major shareholder. Now, diving into the treasury organization and my role, 
So we have, given the fact that we did some acquisitions, partly carve-outs where we didn't acquire any treasury people, but also acquisitions where we actually acquired also treasury teams, we are in a very dynamic process at the moment to restructure our the treasury organization. Um, currently, we have three main teams within treasury. One of them is credit management. One of them is middle office and risk management. It's more the reporting side. And then it's my team, which is treasury operations. Within treasury operations, we are responsible for uh, liquidity management, so global cash management. We are responsible for intercompany funding and lending. And we are responsible for bank guarantees globally. So really the, the operational side. My team of eight people is spread globally. So I have people working in my team uh, in the APEC region, in North America, in South America, in Europe. Some people are located in Portugal, some are in the Netherlands, and some are in Marseille. So it's a truly global team. Even though we are a French company now, I have only two uh, French people in my team. Uh, all the others are, like I said, located across the world, but also are they have their origins there, so they know the local business quite well. Wow. So between the appeal of treasury that got you to stay in the end part and uh, your neural in SEVA, you're quite the person to talk about uh, for Shared Service Center and the topic we would like to talk about today. With your role, I guess, came uh, the building of this team or the restructuring of this team or so hired for that reason? Yes. No, no. When I started, my team consisted of two people, one okay. treasury analyst in the Netherlands. Well, actually, at that time, still located in Marseille, guy from the UK uh, who moved back uh, to the Netherlands and one uh, very senior person already with the organization, SIVA, and also in treasury in Singapore for over 10 years. It just uh, as a side note, as I said, we used to be a Dutch, the head office was in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. As we moved to Marseille, none of the uh, existing treasury, global treasury team members located in the Netherlands actually relocated to Marseille. Okay. So the, the most of the team, give one or two, have a background in SIVA treasury of up to three years. So it's, even though we have a lot of experience in treasury, SIVA Treasury, we are a quite a, a new team, which means we are still searching for the right spread of people across the different teams, but also the right competences within the team. So this is an ongoing search we are working on. But I was indeed hired as well to further build the team, to have a global presence. It's also because our strategy, so our, our blueprint for our treasury organizations did change. Uh, we, even though we're a centralized treasury, so we took most of the, almost all treasury functions from the local entities to a central entity mm -hmm. in France. We do have regional cash managers slash treasury managers who are located in the regions, who are part of the global team, but who are also given the time differences and the complexity of the organization, we have regional treasury managers reporting okay. into me. Makes a lot of sense. So a global treasury team with the perks of having somebody 
in the local That's businesses to know and be close to the yeah. operating yeah. units. Awesome. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, thanks a lot for this introduction, but uh, this okay. is going to be fascinating. Um, we would like to talk about a shared service center today. Maybe to begin with and to break down the term, can you explain to us what a shared service center is? And not necessarily um, with the treasury view, but because of course we're going to come to it in the future. But what is a shared service center? Well, also for in my view, a shared service center is a, a center. Uh, of expertise, where we try to consolidate uh, processes across the regions. And this can be uh, looking at finance. Uh, this, this can be processes uh, for accounting, uh, processes for treasury, for example, for uh, accounts payable processes. So mm -hmm. you try to consolidate the processes, optimize its efficiency by also implementing technologies who make it make you able to have a a global uh, service uh, for in our case our 160 countries in the group that means that it's it's not it really is for us a center of expertise it's located centrally uh, in our case we have two one in uh, india which is outsourced which means we don't own it. So we outsourced it to a third party provider. And we have an inbound and in sourced shared service center in Malaysia. So we have both, but it's really for making our processes more efficient mm -hmm. and more uh, global and more aligned with our business strategies, which also, and, and of course, we can't hide from that. It's also a cost reduction. Because it's located in countries where labor costs are lower. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's also from a cost-saving perspective. Because by working more efficient in shared service centers, we can allocate resources locally to more strategic functions. Makes a lot of sense. So centralizing um, the operating units or the treasury functions, uh, for instance. Technology-wise, optimize um, yep. the tools you have, but also in terms of human resources, right? You yep. uh, gather people together to make a more efficient process. Absolutely. Okay, makes a lot of sense. Maybe to continue breaking it down, um, mm -hmm. what type of company use a shared service center, for instance? Does it need to reach a certain size, critical size, or is it as of a certain turnover, as of a certain number of people working? What's your What's your opinion on that? Well, I think it, you need a certain critical mass. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So the companies I worked for, the, two of them had a, a shared service center. So that's the current one. I'm, uh, three of them. I worked for a large dairy corporation called Friesland Campina. We had a shared service center in the Netherlands. So location, even though important if you look at the uh, labor costs, it isn't always the main driver. It can also be local expertise. So th this is a, a 10 billion company. Another company I worked for in Japan, a Japanese listed company, uh, had its shared servicing center in Hungary uh, for the European entities. Uh, also there, it was one of the larger companies. So I do think, to my belief, mm -hmm. it needs a critical size. It's very difficult to determine that in revenues or in employees, but there needs to be a business case to uh, justify setting up a shared service center 
But I do think with present technology, where it's easier for global teams to specialize and work together, that the business case can be much more interesting nowadays for smaller companies as well. With smaller companies, I do mean companies with turnover somewhere between 250 million and a billion, which I think in the past was not really the case where you looked at the, the Vodafones and the Ikeas and these kind of companies which had service centers. But I do think it's more interesting now also for short, uh, smaller companies. Okay. Relative to smaller. Yeah. For my understanding, Barton, so are these, is this an external company which these bigger companies come and contract services to? Or is this setting up for them something in-house that they use? Yeah, that's a good question, and that that so some some companies and do indeed uh, do uh, like we do use an external party. Uh, we use Infosys, which is uh, one of the uh, leaders globally. You can also build the business case to have an uh, this insource uh, to have a greenfield operation somewhere in, for example, Central Europe or in Asia, where it it justifies to set up something like this. Now. It is, you do need expertise, you, it, it's, it's knowledge you have to acquire first because it's not your main business setting up shared service centers. So if you have the resources, both from a cash perspective, but also from a people's perspective, to build your own shared service center, then there could be a business case. I do think for smaller companies to outsource this, it could be more interesting. You can also do it gradually by first outsourcing it and then gain expertise and then perhaps insource it at a certain moment in time could also be a strategy. So a business case that hopefully you can submit to the type of CFO you dealt with, Bart, and that will yeah. accept it rather rather fast and not after a couple of years. Yeah, but it, it is a huge uh, step huh? because... Um, Definitely. The impact will be uh, in each of the entities globally or regionally, wherever you work, because you will take away business. You, you will impact accounting teams in each of the entities. So at the moment you start centralizing the processes in a shared service center. Mm -hmm. So even though paper, it looks like a, a very solid uh, business case, the, there's also a human impact because... This is something I experienced when I was working for this Japanese company. The moment you build the business case and you say, okay, we can save 2F in accounts payable in Germany in this entity, we're talking about people. And we're talking about people who's been with the, who've been with the company maybe for 10, 15 years, doing, have done nothing else than accounts receivable or accounts payable. And you tell them, nope, we're transferring your responsibilities to Hungary. And uh, that, that is difficult it, it, it's more than a business case on paper you there's a human interest as well which you have to take on board 100 percent. and out of curiosity how much time does it take to set up from scratch a short service center do you have an idea like if you decide to build it let's say and not externalize it um just for us to have an idea because i have no clue yeah that, that's a good question it, i'm afraid i can't really give an, a straight answer there and that is that you <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it depends a little bit on the processes you are planning to outsource. So if you're saying, no, let's let's start small and, and, and looking more treasury-related, let's start with centralizing our payments. Uh, also, you, you might know the term of a, a payment factory. 
I don't really like the term because factory always it's it's the connotation is not very nice. But so if you focus on payments, that could be relatively easy because uh, with the current technology, mm-hmm. you you can scan invoices received locally, and you can send them centrally to a shared service center where they will be paid. So that that is easier. If you look at, for example, accounts receivable, credit management, wow, that's a bigger investment eh? because, uh, and it takes more time. And because uh, you have to train staff, you have to have multilingual staff because your your, your customers are worldwide. Mm-hmm. You, they have to approach your customers. They have to call your customers. So this, this, this can take a long time. And this is also something which local companies and especially the local sales teams are very much afraid of that we have people uh, somewhere in, in Asia calling my customer that they need to pay on time. So, the, and that will take more time. And then, then we're talking about years to fully transfer the processes. Technically, it, it can be quite quickly, especially for, for accounting consolidation purposes that can be done, uh, again, given your footprint and your size. But that, that that's year, one, two, three years. You can really transfer a lot of these processes. To really set up a fully-fledged shared service center, yeah, it's an ongoing development. I really mean ongoing because even today, if I look at our treasury uh, processes we have, we are all the time looking at processes we currently do centrally in Marseille uh, or still locally in the entities, how we can transfer those to our shared service centers. You can't really say, okay... Uh, let's transfer, uh, to give an example, uh, one of the processes we are currently going to are thinking of transferring, the fact that we have a lot of non-centralized cash. Mm. And without going into too much detail, uh, a company most of the time likes to centralize its cash, that they have full control over its cash and they can use the cash where they need it most to, in order to do this. You want to have the local cash at a minimum level. Now, uh, we have hundreds of bank accounts locally. Even though we have centralization structures, cash pooling structures in place, we still have a lot of uh, bank accounts not part of these kind of structures. So we want to reduce the number of non-centralized cash. So today, we we make our own report centrally and we, we call our companies in, in the different regions and countries and say, well, you have so much cash, please transfer to our financing company. Um, we want to transfer that process, at least part of the process, to our shared service center in Malaysia. Now, in order to do so, you you, you can't just say, okay, can you do this for us? No, you, you need first a very, very clear process description. And you need to really test the, these processes first if they work and you can only test them yourselves and then you have you can talk about transferring these you have to set very clear kpis because the people need to know in these uh, centers of expertise how they can support us the best and how we can measure that so it's not just saying okay we're doing this today can you do this tomorrow it's a process even something as small as very internally approaching our entities to ask for more centralization of cash 
it can take up to three to six months to really transfer such a process once it's fully put in a clear process description. 